Cooper Sullivan. And I'm Evan Dane. And you're listening to this week's Old Golden in Your Ears. Our first story comes from staff writer Chase Bagnell Coger. Since 2014, the LGBTQ Plus Center director, Dr. A.J. Mazarez, has been spearheading a slow but steady renovation of Wake Forest's network of data systems that will better reflect transgender students' chosen names and pronouns in different sectors of campus life. There are many reasons why a student may want to be referred to by a different name than the one on their birth certificate. It may be more comfortable for some students to use a childhood nickname or an American name while on campus. For transgender students and faculty, using the correct name is crucial to personal well-being. Though previously, the Wake Information Network had a field for students to provide the name they are comfortable with, this information was not communicated effectively to various offices around campus. Students who input a different chosen name were still identified by their legal or dead names by staff who did not have access to their preferred name. The Data Standards Working Group, led by Mazarus, is aiming to fix that. Working with Information Systems, the Registrar's Office, and other departments, the group is currently working on creating a uniform naming system and being the communications champion for this new system throughout campus. There are a lot of moving parts, some of which there are other implications for, and some of them are that way because no one has ever thought to change them, Mazarus said. As the Data Standards Working Group continues to cut through the red tape surrounding Wake IS systems, students can expect more changes to come. Hey guys, my name is Olivia and I'm from Beijing, China. Hi, I am Professor Justin Catanoso and I'm a professor of journalism here at Wake Forest and I've been teaching here since 1993 in one capacity or another. Olivia, you wrote a great article about feeling out of place in your American journalism class. Can you walk us a little bit through your experience? Um, so my experience is mainly about um, the journalism class, and I felt kind of struggled um, in my first class because the quiz kind of made me feel really afraid. And then I had a conversation with my professor, so um, he gave me some really good advice, not only um, for this course, but also like for how to survive in this school. So. <laughs> Um, I kind of learned a lot, and um, after taking a few classes, I feel like I'm more involved in the school, and so I think I'm I'm quite enjoying his class and also um, the live at Wake right now. What was your initial reaction when Olivia came up to you saying she felt out of place and she wanted some advice? Well, my initial reaction was that she was struggling. And um, even though we're masked, I could see that she was upset. She was actually crying. And she came up to me after class, and I could see that she was, you know, people come up after class, and they're, they've got questions or they've got concerns, and you, you sort of deal with it in a minute or two. And I, and I realized that this wasn't a minute or two conversation, that I actually needed to talk to the other folks that needed to talk to me after class. I asked her to wait, and then I invited her outside. Um, so we could sit outside on a bench and get out of the classroom, and then I could just get to know her a, a little bit. She was very quiet in class, and I just wanted to see, like, why was she upset, mm-hmm. and, and, and really what her commitment to journalism was. All right. Um, is this something that has come up before? Is uh, having an international student come up to you feeling out of place in a journalism class? 
You know, not really. And and I, I do want to mention the quiz that she, she referenced. I, I start this class, um, the, the intro class, with a news quiz. And I basically put it together the day before the first class. And it's it's the major headlines in American news. Like, you, you have to be, like, under a rock to not be able to answer these questions unless you don't live in this country, which I didn't think of. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, Olivia, most people do horribly on it. Like, even though I know you felt really terrible about not being able to answer many questions, most of the American students can't answer many questions (laughs) because they're not paying attention to the news yet. So it's my barometer to see, like, who's tuned into the news and and how can they improve. But for her, she just felt like, and you really need to explain this, but I think she just felt like, if I can't keep up with American news, how can I do this class? Because I feel like most of the students around me are just um, jotting down their answers and their, but I can, what I can do was just sit there and, and just stare at my paper. Is this um, something that the journalism minor might want to address on a larger scale, just in the future, I guess? No. No. I mean, it, it, I mean these are circumstances, and, mm-hmm. and you, you adapt to them. The quiz doesn't count. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. it really is a wake-up call. It, it's like you're in a journalism class. You need to know what's in the news. And none of you could name a single Supreme Court justice. And you realize that all of them have a profound potential to impact your life directly. So at the very least, like that's something that you need to know and soon. So it, it just serves as a, as a useful tool at the beginning of class. I do have international students in class. And, and I and I do make it clear that this is not something that's going to affect their grade in any way. Mm -hmm. Um, I tell them after they take the (laughs) quiz, not before. Um, So they take it seriously. Um, uh, And and, and then we just sort of take it from there. And and everybody ramps up because Mm -hmm. they know what the expectation is. So I'm guessing after the quiz, that first class, you felt like very terrified of just like going forward with it. But after your conversation with Professor Catanoso, how did you feel afterwards? I felt really relieved, and I think um, he kind of led us to read New York Times every day. So um, after learning more about American news, I feel more relieved, and I feel um, I'm knowing more about this country, so I don't need to feel afraid. Olivia quoted you in her article as saying that she was the, the person who gets, to, gets the chance to stand in the middle and seek the truth. What does it mean to stand in the middle, and uh, what kind of opportunities does that open up for someone? This is something that I try to get across in, in all of my journalism classes, and um, why I'm eager for, for students you know, that are working at the Old Golden Black to take our journalism classes. I've been a journalist since I was 12 years old. It's the only job I've ever had, like being a journalist and then teaching journalism. And I'm a working journalist now. I'm a, I'm a freelance uh, journalist. I think it's one of the great jobs that you can have. It's this all-access pass to really interesting people doing fascinating things. You have an excuse to ask for their time and then to pick their brain and then gather that information and try to figure out how you're going to convey it in an interesting way. What struck me about Olivia is that she has a real passion for becoming a journalist back in China. And, and what we know about China is that, is that the free press is very limited there. The, the opportunity for, for the, the Chinese 
public to learn the truth about what's happening in their own country is limited. And there was just no way I wanted to scare her off because she wants to go back to China and do this kind of work, which is absolutely needed. I mean, it's needed here in America, of course, but it's really needed in places like China. And, and what, is that, what does being in the middle mean to you, Olivia? Um, so I'm from China, but I'm here right now in America. But um, as I choose to city here, so it feels like I'm in the middle. So um, I don't want to say um, which country is correct or which country is incorrect, but I want to use my own eyes to like to see and to um, read their news and to kind of compare um, how they are talking about each other. And um, I, I think I'm the person who got a chance to um, disguise and to um, distinguish. As a university, as you've seen the last few, like your one month here on campus, how do you feel the university should handle international students being on here on campus and maybe feeling out of place when talking about American classes or American topics? I think Wake is really inclusive and so I don't know um, what Wake can do, but I kind of know what we can do. Just don't be afraid to reach out. And um, so we've already done the first news story um, for my journalism class. And I just interviewed people randomly um, by turning around and say, do you want to have an interview with me? And I found like people are really nice and they just want to talk to you. And there are a lot of opportunities on campus, so just um, walk around and try to see and try to reach out. Is there anything you guys would like to add about anything you said? Just want to clarify. Um, I just want to add to, to, to what Olivia said, um, this idea of, um, and, and answer your question a little bit about, about our international students on campus. They add such a richness to our classes in the same way that all diversity does. We were a pretty homogenous group here at, at Wake Forest. And um, our largest minority really are students from, from China. They come with a very different worldview, with a very different set of experiences. And they come with a different language and a different alphabet. The fact that they are fluent in English and can write in English at this level and like be Wake Forest students is really astonishing. Um, but because we have so many of them, there are 300 at least Chinese students on our campus, they don't necessarily have to assimilate. They really can like stay to themselves and, um, and have their own group. And that's an opportunity lost, you know? We have so much to learn from each other, and, and it's why I'm really glad when I have a diverse group of students in my classes, particularly students from, from overseas, because they bring that perspective to our thinking. And, um, and as Olivia is doing, she's trying to reach out beyond her own community on this campus to get to know students from the United States. That's going to be such an enriching experience going both ways. And these are the opportunities that we have here because we're an, an international campus. Mm -hmm. And um, that's really exciting. Yeah, I feel like we are all like windows. So um, if we be open to each other, so we and we can see each other. And um, the more um, I open myself, so um, I can share my stories, and you can know more about me, and I can also know more about you guys. And then there will be more understanding, and so that 
and we can make like make friends like that. Well, thank you guys for being here. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you guys haven't already, please read Olivia's Life Through the Lens article on WFUOGB.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you also feel compelled to share your story, please reach out to Selena Tran to write for Life Through the Lens. Our final story comes from contributing writer Henry Parkhurst. After two semesters of being told to mask up and stay six feet apart, students smile at each other walking by and surround themselves with friends. However, Wake Forest University health policy still mandates that masks be worn inside, following CDC guidelines and a Winston-Salem ordinance. But the university is relying on students to self-enforce this policy. No longer are there mask policy enforcers roaming campus, and gone are the real threats of suspension and conduct hearings for not abiding policies. Instead, Wake Forest is trying to have students monitor both themselves and their peers with regards to following guidelines. Senior Ashwin Singh said that, I met with Dean Michelle Gillespie last week, and the school seems to think that the move to self-enforcement has been effective. The effectiveness of the self-enforced directive is hard to discern. Since August 1st, there have been a total of 115 confirmed positive COVID-19 cases on campus among students, faculty, and staff, according to Wake Forest's COVID-19 dashboard. Since COVID-19 restrictions have been relaxed, both at Wake Forest and around the country, there have been challenges in balancing enforcement of guidelines that do remain and the desire to return to normalcy. In an email to the president's aides, Dean Gillespie said, I need your help. The college needs your help. There is nothing as powerful for changing social behavior as peer pressure. While there have not been mentions of changes to Wake Forest's operating status, the CDC warns that the threat of breakthrough infections in vaccinated populations still looms. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Old Golden in Your Ears, and we hope to see you next week.